Welcome to the New Life Church Podcast, where we dive deep into the timeless truths of the Bible. My name is Jake, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be your host. In each of these episodes, we'll unpack the richness of the scriptures, exploring how its teachings can bring new life and meaning to our everyday existence. Get ready to be inspired, challenged, and uplifted as we navigate the profound wisdom of the Bible together. This is a place where faith meets daily life. This is New Life Church. So let me read you this passage from 1 Kings 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me, and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Jezebel has just set a time limit on the man of God's life. Now, the, the enemy loves to do that. The enemy will lie to us and will speak with more authority than what, they, what he carries. Here we are, we, we're accepting authority that the enemy doesn't have, and we're denying authority from God that he does. That, that, that is a trap, that is a problem, and that's an area that we can, in our doubt and in our weakness, in our, our struggle, that we are accepting truth from the enemy that's not true, and we're denying truth from God that is. It's, it's really wild what, what we can get ourselves into the frame of believing. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die, saying, it is enough. Anybody ever felt like that? It's enough. I've had enough. Don't raise your hand. Wink at me. Have you said I have? I've had enough this week. He said, now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked, and there was by his head a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Amen. Now, Elijah, for those of you who don't really, haven't put all the pieces together, has just experienced one of the greatest spiritual victories and honestly, one of the most poignant in the entire Bible. It would be very, very hard. There's like a handful on my short list of seeing God prove himself with the might, the power, the clarity, and just overwhelming presence that he does in this situation. I love to see God move. But man, this is a really wild one. I would say um, the walls of Jericho offhand falling down, that one, uh, you know, that's pretty wild, right? The parting of the Red Sea, that's pretty incredible. Um, these are things that are just like highlight reels of God's faithfulness. But as far as I'm concerned, this is a really wild narrative. That the, these, the, the prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth, there's hundreds of them, and they have been circumventing and pulling the hearts of the Israelites away from God for years and generations, and, and they, they, are, they are telling lies about God, and they have gotten great influence thanks to Jezebel and her weak husband Ahab. They are trying to steal the hearts of God's people away with doubt and with sin and wickedness. And God has had enough. You, you know, the good guys are being persecuted. They're having to hide so they don't get killed. And then in one of the greatest role reversals ever, spiritually speaking, Elijah, number one, takes him to the mountain. Now the mountain, it's not just any old place. It's a place of high visual 
content, right? It's a place where we're looking and saying, this is meant to be seen. God means to be seen on Mount Carmel. God is not afraid of the tests. God is not afraid to stand toe-to-toe with anything or with anyone. We need to know that about God. We may not always understand what he's doing, but he is not intimidated by any false God, by any false problem or any lie from the enemy. Somebody said amen. God is not intimidated by your problem. I'm going to come back to it again. God is not intimidated by your problem. You may be. You may have your, your, your lens off a little bit, not understand. And you, you see that in the Bible sometimes when the spies come back. What's their report? They said, um, you know, there's giants in the land. They're huge. And, and we are like grasshoppers in their eyes and in ours. So we have two different synoptic components there. We have, uh, he said, we're, we're real little in their eyes and in our own eyes. You know who they did not count on? You know, whose eyes they didn't check. You know, whose truth they weren't walking in. They never stopped to ask, what do you see these giants as? Now, because when we start to look at that and say, oh, uh, God, what do you see in this situation? I know what the enemy's lying about. I know what I see in this situation. But if we forget to add in that third lens of what God can do, what he will do, and what he says, allow God to inform your situation. Stop letting your doubts inform your situation. Stop letting your fear, stop letting your past inform your life. Stop walking in what other people are saying and get a hold of what God is saying to you. What does God say about this situation? What does he say about your life? What does he see in this? And how might he receive his glory? I am done with the reports of the enemy. I am done with contradictory reports from what God has promised me for my life. I don't have time for it. I don't want to hear it. I don't even entertain it anymore. I, I shut it down. I unplug it. I unplug from it. Oh, I'm telling you what. I, I was. I, you don't get to a lot of places where you have zero cell service. But we were up in Highland County, up in the mountains in Virginia, away from, from everything but, but God and beasts. And so we're up there with all these old guys, these hunters, and I was up there, and I was, I was feeling a little unplugged from civilization. I got a little nervous, kept checking my phone, and one of those old codgers looked at me and said, it ain't going to change. <laughs> but boy, I wish that we would unplug from every word and every view and every promise, but what God has said. Get alone. You know what did work up there? My Bible. Whoo! <laughs> you know what I didn't have to plug into? What I didn't have to find the bars? And I had, I had my Bible, and I could hear from God. Oh, God, take us to a place, Lord. Take us to a mountain. Take us to a wilderness if you have to, to where all that we're hearing is a word from God in the season. Get all the other stuff out. Get the doubts out. Get the fears out. Get everyone else's prognosis of my situation. Get it out. I need to hear from God. Somebody say amen. Because God is faithful. Yes, Elijah has seen the power of God. God answered by fire and consumed the sacrifice, right? And we remember this. You know what's the bummer, though? It didn't change anything, so it seemed. It didn't change anything. You ever been there? Prayed and blessed God and this, this, and this, and it was great. But in the end, the situation was still there. You're still looking at your giant. You know that giant that David killed? It was still breathing even after he knocked it down. Let me teach you this. Sometimes the thing dies in a different moment than it gets toppled. And all that really changed is David's view of him until the head is cut off. So we like to think, you know, but the thing didn't die right then. He had to finish it. It was a different action. It was a different moment that he cut off the head of the giant and slew him. That provides a little bit of context for us 
to understand that whenever we, sometimes you come to an altar of prayer, you, you receive a word from God, you pray through, and, and then things don't immediately, everything just miraculously poofs into existence the way you thought that it would. But it doesn't mean that the work hasn't been done. It means that you exist in a dot of time and space, and you're trying to have a conversation of faith with a God who doesn't, with a God who's not bound by that, who's operating in truth beyond what we're able to see or understand. But it's tough when it seems like everything, every step forward, every decision you make doesn't really change anything. Pastor Alika Holt um, gave me uh, what I felt like some really good, interesting advice. So think about this. We're going into a, a awesome building project here at church. God's doing amazing and great things, but that's not gonna, it's not that it's not going to be hard sometimes. It's going to be a very stretching season. Anytime you try and step out, even spiritually alone, the pushback that you're going to get from the enemy and people who come into agreement with the enemy is always, oh, try and build the wall in Jerusalem, Nehemiah. See, see, see how many Tobias and Sanballat you're going to have come and throw rocks and mock and try to cause discouragement and distraction, all that. Oh, well, it'll happen. That always does. But God is building the house. But Pastor Leakey, he's been through some of those. And I saw a startling statistic. An overwhelming majority of pastors resigned their churches within two years of a building project. Don't worry. I'm good. I ain't going nowhere. It's going to take the, the National Guard to get me out of here. I love it. And I love you people. I love our church. But that is the statistic, like the, just the stress or like the and different things. So I was like, what's the real problem? Like, you know, because he's been through that. And the pastor he was working with as an associate at the time, you know, two years later, he did as well. After it all got finished, and it was beautiful and awesome and paid for and great. Within a couple of years, he, you know, he was gone. And I said, what's the deal? I was like, because we have a general contractor, so he's going to handle like most of the stress and we got a good team. What is the component that I'm missing here? Because it seems like you'd be super excited. Um, he said, Many pastors quit because they have it in their head that growth, revival, and spiritual renewal will happen at the end of that stretching and time stamp season. At the end of it, they're expecting to get through all the stress and all the stretching and all the work and everything, and then it's done, and then like magic, things are you know better. Like you've built it up to be like, okay, right away all these things are going to happen. Right away there's going to be success. Right away um, these ministries are going to go forward. Right away God's going to you know, just fill up the, you know, the tank, and it's going to be awesome. We're just going to go off like a house on fire. It's going to be a revival, and all the dreams are going to come true. There's not going to be any pushback, no problems. It's going to be glorious. But that's not the way spiritual work ever is accomplished, right? It is, it is a deep-rooted faithfulness, even intergenerationally. There's a great, great quote, and it said, a society becomes great when older men and women plant trees whose shade they will never sit under. And so I I've, I've, I've speak to you, I bless you, and I prophesy this to you especially to our, our generation who is faithful, who is older, who, is, who has provided what we have and enjoy. I bless you, and I thank God for you. A church becomes great. Raise that little boy up and, and show him. That is what we're trying to set up for the greatest revival ever. It may not be me. Hey, it may not, Sister Phillips, it may not be us. With the Clyde, it may not be us. We might not actually see the wholeness of the harvest. What if he does? That's what we're trying to accomplish 
Amen. Praise God. I, I, I'll never stop being this way. You go call the National Guard because I don't care. I will prophesy to, to the goodness of God. I will declare his goodness and his faithfulness that I have seen in the land of the living, and I will cast vision, and I will fail, and I will be embarrassed sometimes, and I will have to go back to the drawing board sometimes, and it won't always look the way that I had thought that it would look, but I will keep believing for God. God's goodness over our church. I will keep believing for the lost souls to be saved. I'll keep believing in life no matter what people vote for, no matter what kind of legislation passes. I will not stop believing in faith for the things that God has promised, and he will do it. I don't care. I will always believe God for greater things. To whom shall we go? What else are we going to believe in? What else is going to tether us to any kind of meaning or purpose in life save the call of Christ? Now, going back to <coughs> the sermon that I had thought to preach, we are many times most spiritually sensitive after a time of great pouring out of ourselves before the Lord. That's when we're weak. It's when we accomplish a lot. Now, that's interesting. That, that, that goes spiritually. That goes emotionally, mentally, physically, right? They, they say, pastor, don't resign on a Monday. Because whenever you pour everything out, everything that you've got, and you, and you wring out the bottom, right? Then that's kind of when you're weakest and you're waiting to be filled back up, right? And it doesn't always happen just with a prayer. And so you have to protect yourself and be spiritually mature, right? But you have to be careful too. Whenever you, whenever you pour out, whenever you do something really special, when you do something that, that stretches you, that's meaningful, uh, the enemy likes to come in and then kind of, um, you know, flank you and then make you discouraged, right? Um, in nature, was after a female, God created the male and female, somebody said amen, has given birth. That's when she is most vulnerable. That's when predators will try to come because they'll come for her in a weakened state whenever she can't run away, really. And she's also, she's lost blood. She's lost everything that she's feeding is going to the baby right then. Right, So she's at a, a nutritionally depleted state, and they'll come after the young, and they'll come after the mother. That's what predators do. That's whenever in nature we see that, right? Well, you see that spiritually as well. When do you think the critics are going to come? When do, you th when do you think the people who are going to come in and cast doubt? I am preaching my head off right now at a very small voice, and you, I, I would that you would hear the word of the Lord. Hear me, man of God. Hear me, woman of God. When do you think the enemy will come after you? When do you think people who are, well, they're bullies, and they're critical, and they're hateful, and they're not in agreement with God, when do you think you'll hear from them whenever you're trying to birth something that matters? When you're trying to do something for God that matters. Whenever you're trying to take what he's given you and bring it forth into something that can actually replicate itself. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not just an emotional thing. You're trying to build something that matters, that will sustain, that will change hearts and lives and eternal destinies. Whenever a church is trying to birth that and bring that forward and obey God and be what we're called to be, that is when we're most vulnerable. That's when you're going to see divisions try to crop up, try to see the enemy, sow things against friend and family and brother and sister and husband and wife and children and father. That is when the enemy will work most against the body of Christ, when it's trying to do what it's created to do, what it's been called to do, what it's been commissioned to do. Whenever we are doing, I wish somebody would hear what I'm preaching today. Whenever we are who we're supposed to be, 
We're vulnerable. And we have to trust God. But we also have to protect the vision. We got to protect the baby. We got to protect what's young and what can't protect itself. Yeah, Elijah feels like a failure. He's at his weakest. Not because he lacked a huge supernatural breakthrough or miracles, but because nothing changed in his eyes when it happened. He says, why do I keep trying? Why do I return to the altar every time, again and again, when nothing changes? Sister Evelyn is my friend and been with me for years, and so I have the liberty to use some of her story, her journey, to glorify God. But how many times did you go to that altar before the breakthrough really happened? Years. And you had every reason to give up and to say, well, it's just not for me or it's just not ever going to happen. It's, I'll never receive true healing to where what I've been through and what I'm talking about, it no longer hurts me, right? It's not that we don't remember. It's not that it didn't happen, but it has no longer the ability to destroy me anymore. There's a difference between a wound and a scar. I'm talking to maybe somebody today with, with a wound where you're acting like it's a scar. And the problem with that wound is it never did close up. It was still weeping. It was still, uh, it was still bleeding. It was still infected. It was still dangerous to the rest of the body, to the rest of his body. It could kill. And scars are different. Scars, you know, they're there. But wounds, no matter how long, if it's still a wound, it can still kill you. And some of you come in today with wounds, not just scars. You're wounded. I wish somebody knew what I was talking about. The day my wound became a scar, and God healed it, and I let it go, and yes, it was still there, but no longer was it able to kill me or control me anymore. Amen. So Elijah allowed God to minister to his confused mind, his weary body, and his disappointed soul. I said, God ministered to his confused mind, to his weary body, and his disappointed soul. We believe that God is a tripartite being. He exists in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three are one. We believe in the triune Godhead. We also believe that we're created in his image, which means that we exist in a shadow, in a type of him. And so we have our mind, we have our soul, right? We have our body. And these three different parts, right? Because you know, the body's not the, not the soul. And the soul's not the mind. Now, these things are interwoven, and it's complex. But I, I see God in this ministering. God gives him nourishment for his body. Don't discount the fact that you need to take care of your body. So, some of you all in the prayer closet pray and weeping, screaming, you know, yelling for God to move. And while that's good, a, a nice walk in the sunshine would help you too. Right? Amen. Taking care of your body. Now, Jordan Peterson has a really interesting point in his book, 12 Rules for Life, and he said, statistically, people are more likely to fill the prescription and then be faithful in giving it to their dog or cat than they are to take care of themselves. Isn't that interesting? I know a lot of people like that. You know, they're, they're sick and they need to take their stuff, but there's, there's this diminished value, I guess, that they have on themselves or this lack of, and, and so they're more likely to give the medicine needed to keep their animal alive than they are to take care of their own self. And so he, one of his rules is treat yourself like someone you're responsible for helping. God does that. God cares about 
the physical aspect. Like he's not just, you know, only a God who cares about the spiritual and like uh, the rhetorical. He cares about the physical needs of his people. Amen? So God gives him nourishment for his body. He brings food, bakes the bread, and brings meat, makes sure that he has water to drink, and nourishes his body. Secondly, God gives him hope for his soul. We need hope. Of all things, I'm telling you, people need hope. You can be strong. You can have money. You can, you, you can be well able to keep going physically, but I've seen people who have no hope anymore, and the whole thing just caved in on itself like a dying star. Whenever people lose hope that it can be better, everything else wilts. When people lose hope in a marriage, there's no amount of money that can, or lack thereof that can kill a marriage. There's no amount of distance. There's no amount of, of problems. There's no amount of, of, of hardship. But whenever hope begins to die, and one or both parties begin to be convinced that it can never be okay, then the will for that thing to live begins to wilt. And God restores hope. Whenever we do not see how God's going to work, and we have no longer the ability to have faith, then we're cut off from the supernatural. So what God gives him is hope. He begins to have a dialogue with him and says, I know it feels like, and it looks like, and it seems like you're all by yourself in this. I've got a lot of guys who have not bowed their knee to Baal. You're not alone. God gives him purpose and reason to hope. He said, no, 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 this, you're in your head too much. You're in your heart too much, right? So he says, let me, let me teach you. There's other people. And he said, really, there's others? I thought it was just me. I thought it was over. I thought, I thought I was the last one. I thought that if I died, the whole system collapsed. He said, no, no, you're fine. Like, I appreciate, you know, you're, you're, you're being faithful. That's good. But there are lots other than you that are going through things, and they haven't cracked either. So you can make it. And he said, you know what? You're right. I thought it was just me. But in that moment, now that I realize that it's bigger than me and that it's gonna, it is going to be, oh, you're right, God. It is going to be okay, isn't it? And he begins to feel, he begins to believe, and hope is restored. Lastly, he gives him clarity for his mind. And so I'm going to close with this and ask you, which one is most vital? Like I said, he gives nourishment for the body, hope for the soul, and clarity for the mind. Which is most vital today? 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, Paul answers this question. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And we don't know exactly what it was. Um, it's a thorn in the flesh. It's a problem. I don't know what it was, but three times, will you do this? Will you please? And three is very typical whenever it comes to, uh, you know, to the Bible, right? Three times, you know, it's, it's a number of completion, of totality, of fullness. So he's, he's saying that in a way that Hebrews will understand and say, I, I ask again and again and again and again. I've completely exhausted my ability to even believe on this, and he didn't seem to fix it. Three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, what did he say? My grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's what he said to me. Now, Paul says this, Therefore, because I've heard what I've heard, and I see what I see, and I know what I know, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul gives clarity to my earlier question. 
of the faithfulness of God. Which is most vital? I said God gives nourishment for the body, hope for the soul, and clarity for the mind. But which is most vital? Well, according to 2 Corinthians 12, Paul realized that he could endure what he felt physically. Weakness, infirmities, persecutions, and needs. And what he suffered emotionally, he could overcome. Reproaches, distresses, insults, shame. He could overcome all these things because of, of what he knew in his mind. That's the most important thing. That's where I want to end today. And I want to challenge you. How you're going to overcome what you feel physically, emotionally, or what you're walking through in the actual physical body. How do you overcome that? By what you know. Now, what do you know? What do you know about God? What do you know about his faithfulness? What do you believe about God? Pastor Joe mentioned a powerful scripture from 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God says, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In the midst of life's challenges, and uncertainties, and even our moments of weakness, remember these words. Because it's in times of struggle that God's grace becomes our anchor, sustaining us and providing strength and peace that goes beyond our understanding. It's His grace that meets us right where we are, in our vulnerability and in our weaknesses. So no matter what giants you're facing, let these words be etched in your heart, empowering you to carry on in the confidence that God's strength is perfected in our weakness and His grace is more than enough. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the New Life Church Podcast. We are truly grateful for each and every one of our listeners, so thank you. For a full transcription of today's sermon and more resources, head over to our website at newlifechurchspringfield.com. I can't wait to dive into the next episode with you. Until then, stay connected, stay inspired, and God bless. See you next time.